0: This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by Canary, a new approach to home security. Canary is a complete home security system packed into a single device. Unlike old systems, Canary is built to learn. Whenever it detects something out of the ordinary in your home, it sends alerts with HD video and audio straight to your phone. That way you can keep an eye on your kids or your pets when you're stuck at work, find out the oven was left on before it's too late, or stop burglars with the swipe of a finger. Pick up your Canary today when you visit meetcanary.com incomparable.
1: The Incomparable, number 256, July
2: 2015.
0: Welcome back, everybody, to the Incomparable podcast. I'm your host, Jason Snell. Every year, for the last few years, we have looked at the nominees for the Hugo Awards, which has long been uh, one of the finest awards in the world of science fiction. Uh, a little less so lately, uh, a little less so since we started reading all the nominees if I got to be honest. But um, I always loved the Hugos and I always loved reading. It makes a good reading list to check out, especially the novels in the Hugo Awards category. Um, And uh, so we are going to continue our tradition by talking about Hugo nominees in this episode before the Hugo nominees are given out at Sasquan in Spokane in August, which I should mention by the way, uh, many members of the incomparable will be appearing at that convention and performing the incomparable radio theater and probably will be recording a special episode then too. So uh, we will be a part of the magic Uh, joining me to talk about the Hugo awards. It uh, first, I would like to introduce a one-time Hugo nominee for her podcast Verity. It's Erica Ensign. Hello
2: for a second i was really excited i was like oh my god who did you get as a guest and then it's, i realized you were you. talking about me
0: <laughs> it's you don't get too excited
2: yeah. you you yeah.
0: spent a lot of time with this this person so
2: yeah yeah, all of all of it pretty much fact. all of it yeah mm-hmm.
0: uh also out there david lore uh who
1: i don't know have you have you done this have you done this hugo thing before yeah, I was I was on last, last year. Last year, all right. Because because they did the retro Hugo's and we. Talked oh
0: yeah, about you and Monty did a lot of retro yeah. Hugoing. Ah, yes, good times, good times. And of course, I wouldn't talk about things that are written
3: without Scott McNulty. Hi, Scott. I am once again disappointed in the Hugo. So keeping up the tradition. <laughs> well, you know they didn't. Uh, there was no uh, no uh, parasite
0: book two by Mira Grant was not nominated. So we got we didn't didn't have to read any Mira Grant this year, Scott.
3: That's true. We did have to read uh, well, I read well, we'll Kevin J. Yeah,
0: mm, some of us started that and didn't finish it all right well, let's we should we should start we should start there. We should start with the novels I, I guess I guess even before we start there, though, we should probably mention Hugo's this year very controversial um last the last few years, what has been clear to any anybody who has, say, done a podcast about the Hugos is that there's a there's been a really a real hole in the uh, process, which is the nomination. Uh, process where it's fairly easy to get a nomination if you have a, a bunch of like-minded people who are voting specifically to get some stuff on the ballot. The nominations are very small, and and you end up with uh, a small number can get you on the ballot. And we've seen that not just with sort of organized political stuff, which we've seen the last few years with the Sad Puppies and Rabid Puppies campaign, which have largely filled out the short f- fiction ballot this year, but even just in fandom. I've heard a a lot of people who are not Doctor Who fans I know that's a crazy idea Erica who would be so awful <laughs> as to not be a Doctor <laughs> Who fan Shaking Co- my head complain about all the Doctor Who uh, episodes that have gotten and gotten nominated and then have won uh, a streak that has, has kind of come to an end the last couple of years but there was a period there where every almost everything was Doctor Who and certainly I mentioned the, the works of Mira Grant a case where there's a committed fan base who's very excited and votes and um, really likes a, a particular author and 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 so good for them. They do that. But uh, this year, what what has happened is that a lot of the categories have been swamped by a particular slate of people, Um, the sad slash rabid puppies, where they have uh, sort of tactically nominated certain. Uh, certain works, uh, because of uh, push and pull of what they think science fiction should be, and because of some politics, and uh, you know, and things that are not related to whether stories are good or not. I would argue. So, uh, mm-hmm. it's it's a problematic uh, it, it it reading the Hugo nominees has always been somewhat problematic because there's always that moment where you think, how did this get nominated? But this year was mm-hmm. really for me, um. It was a whole other level than it's been in the past. Did did other people feel that same way?
2: This is only my second year actually reading all of the nominees, uh, so it yeah, I would say that there was a, a and I actually liked some of the stuff that you guys didn't like so much last year, right. and I still felt that there was a significant drop off in the overall quality of the work that was that was on the ballot for sure.
3: Scott. Well, I mean, I think that this just continues my disillusionment with the Hugos in, I, I've talked about this before where I, I always, before I started reading all the nominated works, I always thought that the Hugos was kind of like, uh, the Oscars, uh, and it's really the people's choice. And if you get the people's choice, uh, you're gonna get a lot of crap because the people are stupid. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's my misanthropy uh, that I
0: was looking for. And David, do you do you have any any uh, thoughts on this regard?
1: Well, this is this is the first year I've officially read them as someone who gets to vote since you have to buy a membership or ship to ship to ship to con. And, and since we're all going to be there, I was like, oh, well, OK, I'll, I'll read everything. And, um, you know, in previous years, I've read the good stuff. I've read the stuff I've heard about. I've read the stuff that, you know, I've heard about on on the podcast even. And so, so I've kind of avoided things that, you know, you go, oh, I don't need to read any more Mira grant, for instance. Um, so this year trying to, to plow through everything, um, there's some really good things and you can go, yeah, all right. I see why that was nominated. And there's a lot of stuff that I would have rejected in a writing class, which you don't expect that uh-huh. in an awards ceremony, you know, of a, of a series of nominees. I mean, this is this is high school level in some cases, if that.
0: And we'll get to that. There, there's some <laughs> foreshadowing uh, for you. I <laughs> know
3: yeah. I can't help but think as I read all of this stuff that – and apologies to Erica. But the only category <laughs> that really matters is the novel category mm. – uh, And I think that uh, for for people – I mean I know there's this uh, very devoted fandom that is involved with world cons and they're very concerned about the process and I understand all that and your respect to that. I don't care about any of that Uh, and uh, the only thing I ever really care about the Hugos is the novels because I'm a novel reader Uh, and I think that the slate – this slate of novels is not so bad – Mm-hmm. With one exception, perhaps yeah. <laughs> um, the rest of the rest of the thing. I think it's easier to get stuff in the other categories because most people, uh, and this is I'm assuming most people read more novels than they do short fiction, uh, which uh, doesn't seem to make much logical sense in short, since short fiction takes so little time to read, but novels are so much more popular that I think that everyone who's voting certainly when I nominated, uh, I had a list of novels that I nominated. I didn't have a list of anything else I nominated other than podcasts. The
0: short stories generally got about a thousand ballots.
2: Yeah, best short story actually had 1,174 nominating ballots.
0: Yeah, and the novel and the novella were also in the ballpark, and best novel got yeah, 1,800 thousand. ballots. So yep. it's a dramatically larger pool nominating for novel than for the short fiction category
2: however the number of actual entries nominated for best novel is much smaller than the number of entries for something like best short story best short right. story had 728 best novel only had 587
0: yeah I mean the number of short stories published in a year versus the yep. number of novels published in a year I think I think one yeah. of the one of the things and, and we can maybe talk about this if we talk about things like graphic story and dramatic presentation and it's actually I think why the novel was harder for uh, a slate to game is it's a lot harder <laughs> to be to create something that's eligible in one of those categories. like to make a TV show or a movie. <laughs> yeah. you have right. there are lots of them. gatekeepers that aren't necessarily there for a short I mean for some of these short fiction categories, especially you can just put it on a website. And say, nominate this, and it can get nominated. And it's a lot harder to do that for a, (laughs) you know, major motion picture.
2: Yeah. And while Scott may say that the, you know, the novel is the most important category, I I don't think I actually agree with this. It is the most popular category. But I I would actually argue that that the other categories are are more important, because they're going to have more of an effect on the authors who are nominated in those categories. And I'm totally biased, because I actually work for a magazine that publishes short (laughs) fiction. So (laughs) I'll declare that right up front. But, um, but what it means um, financially, I mean, the, the novel category as well, but especially for people who publish short fiction, which is somewhat gaining ground um, the, in the past few years, but not as fast as, as I would like. Uh, I, I think it's more important for in those categories because, because the effect is, is much more, kind of more grand for the people involved in the category.
3: Well, Scott correctly predicted your disagreement. So <laughs> yep. I, mean, that, that, I, I didn't say crap. that it was more important. I just said it was the only one that mattered. <laughs>
2: Pardon me for parsing that yeah. incorrectly.
3: <laughs>
1: we, we've had disagreement in misanthropy. I'm uh, I'm I'm already taking a drink.
2: So let's
0: let's <laughs> let's talk about the novels. I'm not saying that they're better or worse. I'm just saying that let's talk about them first. Uh, there there were so there also we had some shifting nominations where people dropped out who were not happy to have been uh, Included in slates, but uh, I'm just going to list the final nominees here and we can talk about them. Some of them we've talked about a little bit before uh, in our Nebulas episode, which I will link in our show notes. Um, but because uh, there were a few repeat uh, nominees, but it's worth talking about them again. Uh, since this is a different crew than we had on that episode, Scott and I are the only ones in common between the episodes. So Ancillary Sword got nominated the sequel to the winner last year, Ancillary Justice by Anne Leckie. Um Scott and I talked about this in the Nebula uh, Nebula episode. Uh, David and Erica, did you read Ancillary Sword?
2: Mm-hmm. I did.
0: Okay, what are what are your what are your thoughts, David? Why don't you go first?
1: I I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the first one and uh, was was sorry that I had to miss the episode you guys did on it because it just it's it's dense. It doesn't make any apologies for not explaining things. It just sort of plunges you right into this world and this this existence. And you have to figure out your genders. You have to figure out time. You have to figure out how the ships and the ancillaries and everything work. And it just held my attention, which a lot of books don't necessarily do. You know, I'll read and kind of look up at the TV and go, Oh, what are the kids doing? And Oh, I'll get a drink. This one I picked up and I, I just plowed right through it. So the sequel, pretty much the same experience. Um, I, I mean, I would I would say it was probably my favorite of the five, but it was close with one of the other ones, but we'll get to that.
0: Erica, what did you think of The Ancillary Sword?
2: I'm, I'm not on the same page uh, as David. I did, as, as I said on last year's episode, I enjoyed Ancillary Justice very, very much, um, even though reading it felt a little bit like work, but not in a bad way. Um, and I felt that that was the, the same with this one. Um, it did feel a little bit like work, but um, I think... You know, because some of the best books that I've ever read have been challenging, so that's that's an okay thing. But the difference here is that with Ancillary Justice, I was so curious about this world and the society that I was really anxious to get back into that world every time I had to put the book down. And with Ancillary Sword, I just didn't have that impetus quite so much. Um, this installment just didn't have that feeling that like, I could expect a new discovery around every corner, which I got with the first one. So I, I found myself less likely to pick it up. I actually ended up alternating between this one and skin game. And between the two, um, I thought I had kind of a, a good balance of, um, of, of all the different elements I was looking for. But on its own, uh, ancillary sword just didn't quite float my boat. I still think it was an incredibly well-written book well-written story um i still find that world fascinating i just wasn't as excited about it this time so definitely not my favorite this year
1: well and and it is the middle of a trilogy
2: exactly which we didn't
1: necessarily know at the mm -hmm.
2: and i'm really looking forward to the third installment because you know quite often i feel like you know it's middle child syndrome like it just kind of and then the third one ramps things the tension back up so i'm excited for that
0: one of the things I mentioned in the Nebula episode was that the very end of Ancillary Justice feels like we're suddenly going to be entering into Star Trek The Next Generation, and what Ancillary Sword <laughs> gives us is Deep Space Nine, which yes. is a little bit of a surprise that we're going to have this smaller story on a space station, and that took me aback. But mm-hmm. what, I, what I've realized thinking about it afterward is that one of the things Anne Lecky is really doing is kind of critiquing Empire, and I think in a, in a, in a novel that is itself uh, space opera, She is and the whole idea of star empires and things like that. Both books are about the ugly side of empire and applying that to a space opera context. So, you know, in the first book, they talk about a massacre in a on a planet that is being taken over by the Ratch Empire. And in this book, what you've got is this planet with plantations. And and you know poorly treated workers on them, and this kind of upper class of people who are running the plantations. Um, and, and I thought that was really interesting. And I thought just as evocative as as the kind of running through the the frozen landscape and an, ancillary justice and ancillary sword. I remember uh, the main character doing her. Runs through the plantations beyond where she's supposed to go and seeing the people who live and work there. And, um, and, uh, I, I just, that's like sort of an indelible image for me in this, uh, that and also that the swimming pool leaks in the space station. And that's a, a key, a key plot point. But, you know, I, 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 so I'm, I, for me, I didn't like it as much as ancillary justice, but, um, what I was surprised by is how different it was. And I like that that was kind of almost, ambitious in a way, certainly to not just write the same book again. And I see what she's doing in terms of the commentary she's trying to, trying to provide about like, you know, star empires aren't so great because they're still empires and the empires tend to do bad things to the people under their, under their boot.
1: Yeah. And, and see, I liked the fact that it wasn't the same book. And and of course I've said before, I love deep space nine. So,
0: <laughs> Scott, you want to um, revisit uh, ancillary sword a little bit?
3: Uh, sure. Let's see if I can remember anything that happened. <laughs> Always in question. the question. <laughs> the swimming pool leaks. Oh swimming pool no. leaks. That's true. There's a plantation. I remember. Uh, I heard you guys <laughs> talking about all these elements. And, uh, it was reminded by, I, I remember enjoying it. Okay. Uh, I am on the same page with Erica. I think the first book was a revelation. Uh, and then you come back to the same characters and it can't be a revelation again, which is kind of a disappointment, but then, it's well-written. It's, it's, it's a fine book. It's also the middle of a trilogy. It's hard yeah. to give uh, an award to the middle of a trilogy or to a book that starts a trilogy that's actually the second trilogy. Uh, that's foreshadowing. Uh, Uh-oh. So <laughs> – uh, but I liked it a lot. I like Breck. I think it's fascinating.
0: Breck is a good mm-hmm. character. I think yeah. – I think my problem with it is that the impression I got, and this is maybe on me, is that um, having set this world up in the the first book about the the clones and the different emperors and this star spanning Mm -hmm. battle between uh, clones of the same emperor who are turning against each other and this mysterious alien force that's trying to undermine the whole thing. I expected the canvas to get broader in book two and it, it absolutely doesn't. There are hints of what's going on in the background, but we didn't get the star-spanning, uh, you know, the first book takes us right to the palace, basically, right to the emperor and it, it, by the end of the book. And this book is, you know, we're in a backwater, essentially, at a space station. And that, that's not bad, necessarily. Like I said, I love that she didn't write the same book again, but I thought we were going up and we were actually going down. <laughs> and so it took me by surprise
2: for me i am a sucker for beginnings i am the first in a trilogy is almost always my favorite the first book in a series i mean anything where we're just discovering a new world that's that just completely gets me and that's foreshadowing for another book we'll talk about so so i think i was predisposed to like ancillary justice and you know just drop off a little bit no matter what for ancillary sword yeah i think that's fair
0: time to take a break and let me tell you about our sponsor it's Canary, an amazing new home security device. So let me explain what Canary is. It's about six inches tall. It's very attractive. It can sit on your bookshelf. It sits on the top of my piano in my house. It's perfect for any house or apartment. It's a complete home security system packed into a single device that you control from your phone. It has no extra components. It's all in one. One item it sets up in just minutes. You plug it in, connect it to the internet, and that's pretty much it. It can let you live stream video of what's happening in your home, anytime, anywhere. And whenever Canary detects anything unusual, it will send you an alert straight to your phone, including HD video and audio. It's got a 1080p HD camera, widescreen built into it, so you can see a pretty amazing uh, field of view. So if you put it in the middle of a room, you're going to be able to see pretty far to the left and to the right. Uh, wide. It's not going to just give you a little narrow area. Um, it's got great video quality, a uh, high quality microphone, support for motion detection, a super loud siren that I used to terrify my uh, daughter one time. Just I was testing it out. I'm scaring her was a bonus. Uh, automatic night vision mode. So when it gets dark, it pops into infrared mode, and you can see perfectly even in total darkness. It also also includes temperature, humidity and air quality sensors built in so it's not just looking for intruders, it's also seeing what might be wrong in the air. Is it too humid? Is there an, a problem with air quality? Is it too hot? All of that is covered. It's inside Canary. People are using Canary to catch burglars, to check in on their family or on their pets. I used Canary to check in on my cat when we were taking a trip, make sure he was getting fed by our neighbor. It was great. Uh, And it just makes you feel safe while you're away to know that somebody is watching out. And if anything weird goes on, you're going to get an alert. So be one of the very first to get smart home security with Canary. Buy Canary now by visiting meetcanary.com slash incomparable. And thanks to Canary for sponsoring The Incomparable. All right, let's uh, move on and talk about The Dark Between the Stars by Kevin J. Anderson, who I have, I don't think I've read any of his books. Um, I, he wrote a lot of Star Wars books,
1: right? Isn't that, isn't that he right? He wrote Star Wars books. He wrote Dune. the uh, the prequel to Superman that's all about his parents on krypton and oh and um, he's the one who who worked with brian herbert on the he dune the Doom books. Yep. All right. mm-hmm. okay Quite he is he is someone whose books i have given up on many many times
0: <laughs> and this, we'll put it that <laughs> way and my impression Thank from reading you. this book and 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 i think this is always fair to say this is not not in the middle of a series but is the direct sequel to a previous series
2: Okay, that explains so much because I did not know that. <laughs> as
0: far as I can tell. I, I, I think I looked that up and, and discovered that there were there were references yes. in the in
3: the beginning of this book there, to There's a previous trilogy yeah. that this book starts basically just picks up right from mm-hmm. and you start reading it. If this is the only book that you've read in this series, uh, at least speaking for myself, you have no idea what's going yep. on. Yep.
2: Accurate. <laughs> well, <laughs> you, you eventually do because he tells you over and over and over <laughs> and over again what each character's motivation is every uh-huh. time you
3: start a new chapter. That's true. And yet we keep getting new ca- I felt like, I don't know how long this book was, but I felt like there were more characters than there were pages. It's, a, and then it's, there it's were about like, a thousand pages long, but no, sorry, 5,000 pages long. <laughs> <laughs> Sentient elementals appear at some point and I'm like, what's going on? I don't understand anything. That's Sentimentals. Happening here. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> there are space gypsies. I I don't understand.
0: Yeah, they they did every chapter. You think when are we going to get back to those characters we saw in the first chapter? And it takes a long time because there are so many characters and there are so many chapters and there are so many pages. And 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 to his credit, I suppose this is a. I mean, this could not be a wider screen, uh, epic because there's just an endless a uh, cavalcade of different characters that that uh that come on board in this story. Um I couldn't get through it. In fact, I couldn't get more than about 150 pages into it because um it it re- it reminded me and people who like this sort of thing, you know, might like it, although I it reminded me of foundation a little bit in the sense that it is a a a, a galaxy spanning space opera where there's a lot of ideas That are told by people standing around talking about their ideas. And lots of, uh, it just, not a lot of characters, uh, but a lot of complexity, a lot of world building. And it just, it just got, uh, it got really frustrating after a while. Like I felt, I felt, uh, I can give Foundation a pass because it was written like 60 years ago, but as a modern novel, it felt like these were characters were not really part of the of of the point here it was really just let me download more of this world I, it was like somebody was telling me about this dream they had about wouldn't it be cool if the galaxy had these people these aliens in it
3: and you know n- no it wouldn't be cool
0: <laughs> i don't want to hear about
3: your dream <laughs> and as someone who loves the foundation trilogy I did not like this book at all. <laughs> well, yeah.
0: I I like the Foundation trilogy, but do you see what I mean about, you know, in, in by modern oh, yeah. standards Foundation doesn't have a lot of like really great characters who you you understand their motivation. It feels it feels more or or like the Doc Smith books, something like that. That it feels more um, you know, which I think is maybe the point why why some people nominated it is it feels mm-hmm. feels pulpy and old mm-hmm. school but um as i think we said about something else in the in the nebula uh, conversation you know the 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 standards are are greater now than they were 60 years ago and i we expect more of our novels and from dark between the stars i just got just like just a more another pile of of, of stuff just an endless pile of of new stuff
1: that i didn't care about and and i mean the the foundation books were not originally written as novels i mean they were put together from a series of stories that he published over several years in the different magazines, and so they they have this really weird. They're not structured like novels. They're they're just odd. Right. Whereas this, you know, presumably you have an editor. Presumably you have someone saying, um, by the way, this should be a book, and it should be shorter, and stuff should happen, right. Um, mm-hmm. No. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I I will say that I actually I enjoyed this one. I am not going to say that it was it was good, certainly not in the way that a novel <laughs> is. And David, you you actually just nailed it because I felt like I was reading, you know, an old-fashioned serialized work that was yeah. just being published week by week in a magazine or a newspaper and I actually didn't end up reading it sort of as a novel. Um I I was busy doing a whole bunch of other things. So I would read a chapter and then go and do something else and then come back and read a chapter. And you know, there are over a hundred chapters in this thing. So it it took me a while and I I spread it out. And I think that that vastly improved the reading experience. If I would have just sat down and kept reading and reading, I think the things that annoyed me, and there were plenty of things that annoyed me, uh, the things that annoyed me would have, would have annoyed me much, much more. So, I mean, I would never ever have put this on a a ballot to win any kind of award, but just for, For something to for something to keep me busy for a good chunk of time and just like it, it, occupy my mind in between doing other things without without challenging it very much, um, I was I was fine with it. I was I, I enjoyed the process of reading it. Okay, but I just I would get pulled out of it every now and then just because, like I said, re-explaining um, who the characters are every time we see them. I'm like, mm. okay, if you are explaining, you know, what Zoe's motivation is every time we see her, that means you recognize that there. are... Are enough characters that people are going to forget by the time they come back to it? That's that should be a sign that you should do something about that. Perhaps
1: you know. I, I think that's also there there seems to be this trend I've noticed in reality shows too, where you have to have you you, you end up seeing the same. Clips and scenes and quotes about five times in a half hour episode of something, Mm -hmm. because apparently we don't have the attention span or ability to remember more than, you know, five minutes. The the
0: flashback to something that happened in the same episode of a TV show. It's like, yes, I do. I was watching that. (laughs) And I'm still watching
1: this. This is the kind of thing that, yeah, I, I probably. Probably would have enjoyed it back when I was, you know, 15 and I didn't have a lot of stuff to occupy my time, you know. (laughs) But now I have children. I have a house to take care of. I have things to write and make and do. And, you know, I got to a point where I said, life is too short. Uh, I just don't care. Um, And I I mean, I, I got through his last days of Krypton novel, which is very similar it's it, if you like uh, reiterating who Jorel is every time you see him cuz who the hell is Jorel um you know then yes and and talking about ideas and and then pulpy things that happen and have, oh. i also also there there are just ticks as a as a, oh yes
0: the the ticks that for me i've always had a problem with novels that do the um or writing in general that does the descriptive download and like mm-hmm. literally yes. there every time a character gets introduced a bell goes off and there is a paragraph <laughs> of description some of which really doesn't make any sense but there's always detailed description so you get the tom was a tall striking man with dark skin and a lean physique his sinewy muscles were all in all the right places wrapped like monofiber cables around his bones he had a long face with prominent (laughs) cheekbones and bright eyes a form-fitting polymer suit clung to him like a reinforced skin his voice was rich and deep as if he had taken shakespearean training but this man did not look like an actor and this, this, that happens for every single character
1: in and the you'll entire get book. It
0: again, like ten
1: pages later, and when comes I'm just,
0: back. I, and I'm just not a fan of that. I, I would much rather discover who these people are as we go, instead of have it have the the big right. the big download. But so I, I just I couldn't I couldn't do it. I mean I, I was complaining on Twitter about it uh, to Scott. Yes. <laughs> yes. As I was reading it, <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> not to mention explaining what happened in the past, I felt like the the exposition was very clunky in a lot of places. We had characters who both knew exactly what was going on, talking to each other, explaining something that the other person already knows. Which As you is already one of know, my Bob. biggest pet peeves. Yep. And then every once in a while, we get you know, I appreciated the fact that a decent number of these characters were women, um, some in positions of power, mm-hmm. and like that is always something that I really appreciate. So so I liked that. But then every once in a while, one of these very very subtly sexist things would creep in, like, um, you know, how one of the characters didn't want to be one of those professional women who couldn't balance family matters with business necessities. This is so far in the future, I hate the idea that that's still a thing Uh that we have to to fight against, or or maybe the fact that the female-voiced compies, the computers, uh, sound matronly and protective while the male ones sound more (laughs) erudite and professorial. (laughs) Like, that kind of stuff just uh, gets my back Uh up.
0: Yep. Well, Scott, you you did make it all the way through, right?
3: I do. I did. I regret it. I, don't, I didn't enjoy it, but I, I'm a completist, so I had to finish it. Man. Uh and and uh, oh. I will never, never get that time back. Although I can understand how someone would like this book, I just thought it was awful. Yeah.
0: I just I just thought there've got to be better options in this kind of in this
3: kind of story than
2: yeah.
0: than this.
3: And I think that it was just people. Some people were upset, or maybe not upset, but thought that Kevin J. Anderson has written so much stuff and he's never been nominated for a Hugo. So clearly he deserves to be nominated for one, but he doesn't. (laughs) And that's okay.
1: Okay. All right. It, It should be, you know, quality instead of quantity. And I mean, he writes many books, many
3: people buy them, uh, and, and that's, the, that's his award. All the money he makes from these books is <laughs> <It's> his <laughs> award. He doesn't actually need a Hugo. Well, now he can say he's been nominated for a Hugo. Uh,
0: let's move on to The Goblin Emperor by Catherine Addison. Uh, this is another one of those Nebula nominees, so Scott and I have talked about it a little bit. Uh, Erica, did you read this one? I did. What do you think?
2: Oh my god, I loved this book so much. <laughs> um it, it kind of took me by surprise. I didn't know what to expect from it and I found myself just completely wrapped up in it. I mean, it grabbed me from like almost mo- moment one, and I say almost because it took me a while to get used to the uh, the language. Yeah, there's um, so many
0: proper names that sound yes. vaguely Hungarian and, and are... Dost
2: thou's and thousand, wilt nots and yeah. stuff. That that kind of threw me out, but it it turns out that
0: so Sean Duke, I believe it was Sean on the on the Nebula episode, was so thrown off by the Dost thou's and all that that he ended mm-hmm. up disliking it. But it turns out if you stick with it, you discover that that is a contextual. Key cue about yep. the formality of the language, but you have to, you have to figure it out to get there.
2: Hmm. So I mean, uh, yeah, because you know that that sort of thing flows for me just fine in Shakespeare. But here, you know, it's it's only when they're speaking aloud, and it depends on who they're speaking to as right. characters. So um, I did appreciate that in their heads, no matter what, they always used a much more sort of modern pattern of speech. Um, but so for me, I think it was more the back and forth that took adjusting to figuring out when it was when it was happening and why and that sort of thing. Um, but in the end, I just completely adored the book when it was over. I wanted it to be not over i just i kept catching myself looking forward to the next time i could go back to reading it and pick it up and then i would remember that i was done with it and that realization was just like a dash of cold water on my soul i was so upset
0: (laughs) you know when i when i finished it i looked up to see surely as a fantasy novel like all fantasy novels are contractually obligated to be it is part of a long-running series of books that are planned and i found an article where she said no it's a standalone i'm never gonna probably never gonna revisit those characters of that universe and i was
1: and my response was, no <laughs> <laughs> you fool, take my money. Yeah. Because, much. because for once you want it to be. Yeah. David, did you read it? Yeah. Thoughts? Yeah. This this was one that I think I saw a reference to it quite a while ago. And or maybe you had made a reference to it online. And I said, you know, how is that? And you said, Yeah, it's good. And and so when it popped up on here, I was like, Oh, alright. And um, I mean I've I, uh, again I've burnt out on fantasy a little bit in recent years. But I really enjoyed the world building. I enjoyed the, you know, again having to figure out the language and the cues and and sort of focus on that. Um, and and with the whole, uh, all the the political things and 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 the bridge building, and it, it kind of made me think of it as as like a fantasy version of Parks and Recreation, oddly enough. The the sort of the procedure of going through and and making this happen and.
0: So I mean let's 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 say it a, a fantasy novel when you hear about a fantasy novel called The Goblin Emperor what I think most people would conjure up is sort of a generic high fantasy epic where uh, uh, the leader of a goblin uh, you know a goblin people has to I don't know. There's a quest they have to, or or it's people who have to defeat the evil goblin emperor. It's something like you'd expect. What I did not expect is that it is a character study, a coming of age story and about politics and finding your way in a complicated, you know, basically like a, a like the royalty or the, the aristocracy and how you fit into the, into that complicated uh, world. And that's what the Goblin Emperor is. It is not at all. When I tell people the name of the book, they're like, okay. I'm like, no, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) It's not not, what you think. It is not what you think. That's right. Not goblins like that. (sighs) No. These are just, it's just racism. Uh, (laughs) It's really that like goblins, goblins, because it's elves and goblins. What are goblins? As far as I can tell, goblins are elves with dark skin. That's what they are. Yep. That's Mm -hmm. it. That's it. So that's a fascinating little angle is the is the sort of race relations. And this is the goblin emperor. So it is the, um, you know, I, I don't know if the sad puppies are angry because it, it's the first black emperor. And, you know, or, or <laughs> well, what? He He's the Obama of the of the elf <laughs> kingdom. Um, but but uh, that's that's an element in it. But really, in, in, in its core, it's about a young person who's very smart, but not educated and has to figure out his place in the world and it i'm you know i agree every so often i come into one of those books and i think oh this is the book i'm going to be recommending to people for the next year like among others was a good example of that and the genie and the golem actually and uh and when i read uh, goblin emperor i thought to myself oh this is it this is this is that one that i'm going to just recommend to everybody for the next year because i liked it so much
2: yeah, this is another book that had something that I'm a complete sucker for. And that is when the main character, our point of view character is discovering and figuring out the world right along with me as yeah. the reader. I love that sort of thing. And not only is he discovering the world, but like you said, discovering his place in it, he's he, he comes into this world basically at the top of it and has to figure it out from the top down, which is a really interesting sort of uh, spin to put on it.
3: Scott, do you have do you can you have we reminded you of the Goblin Emperor now? <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have a very clear recollection of uh the he's a bridge builder of the bridge (laughs) and that scene where he's fiddling with the model uh is delightful Uh, i also remember the scene where he's abducted uh and uh he his what his cousin uh his his what is the the widow of his father who isn't actually his mother, but was, you know, she his mother died, uh, wants her son to become the emperor and not this goblin. Right. So they abduct him. There's an assassination gonna, attempt, yeah. And he's like, you know, his cousin her comes down and is like, what's going on? And the little the goblin emperor's like, Well, you can kill me and you will become emperor. But trust me, it's not all that great. Uh <laughs> <laughs> people want to kill you like this, for example. <laughs> That's right. And I just thought that was a fantastic scene. Uh I really love this book. Uh, I think it's my favorite book of the the nominees, uh, and I was gonna say that it was the kudos to the Hugo's for alerting me to it, but actually the Nebulas alerted yeah. me to it, so I can't even give that to the Hugo's. But
2: <laughs> well, that's uh, just timing.
3: <laughs> yep, but the Nebulas get the full credit. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's, that's that's fair, <laughs> but you can't hold it against the Hugo's for like holding out on you. But
3: I'm glad I'm I'm glad I was worried. What with all the 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 hoopla around the Hugo's this year, that uh, it would not end up on uh, the ballot for whatever reason. But I'm very glad that it is there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's great. It um, it's also nominated for the World Fantasy Award, and it won the Locus Award for best fantasy novel. Mm-hmm. So although it didn't win the Nebula, it it has won one major award already.
2: What did win the Le- Nebula? I forgot.
3: Uh, the book uh. that I didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> the okay. book that I liked which, but didn't think should win the award.
2: Was it Annihilation? <laughs> yeah, yes.
0: Annihilation, Annihilation which, okay. which Scott doesn't recommend as a book to put, say, winner of the Nebula Award on the cover because people will read it and go, what is that? <laughs> yes, <laughs> but I think it should have won and I was glad it did win. It's a very but... well-written book that I didn't like.
2: So. Gotcha. Yeah.
3: I was not surprised. To so see it's it kind not. of the, opposite, the, of the dark,
2: opposite of the dark between the stars and a not particularly well-written book that I did kind of like.
3: Oh. <laughs> yeah, sort of. Sure. And it's
0: much shorter. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, it does have that going for it. (laughs) Our next sponsor is not one you've heard before, and I think it is relevant to your interests. It is the Mythgard Institute at Signum University. It was founded in 2012 by Dr. Corey Olson with two goals, providing high quality, higher education at a fraction of the cost to students around the world. And get this, further the study of Tolkien – and other speculative fiction via a master's program in literature and languages. Yes, Mythgard currently offers three different levels of classes. Mythgard Academy is completely free and open to the public. There are weekly classes on popular fantasy and science fiction works that are elected by the public. It's available as a live webinar or as video or audio downloads from the site or from iTunes U. Past sessions are available in both audio and download forms. Past classes include the likes of Lord of the Rings, Ender's Game, Watership Down, Dune, and The Princess Bride. They're currently working their way through The Lays of Valerian by J.R.L. Tolkien. A couple weeks left on that one. And up next, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Great book. Really enjoying the TV series, too. There's also the Master's Program, Master's-level classes. If you've been wanting to pursue a graduate-level humanities degree, um, if, you, if it's too expensive or you're too busy... Explore some of your favorite books and authors while earning you an MA through Signum University's MythGuard Institute, 12-week semesters, two lecture sessions, and a discussion section every week, and a lively discussion board for students and auditors. You can improve your writing with two or three papers per semester. Excellent support and mentoring. That's $575 for a three-credit hour class and there's also auditing of master's level ca- classes you get all the benefits of those master's classes except you don't get to attend the discussion sections you don't have to write the papers uh, you still get to attend lectures live and participate in discussion and that's 175 dollars from class so this fall they're going to have three different classes introduction to anglo-saxon join the class to learn the language which influenced J.R.R. tolkien so immensely go from zero to beowulf in one semester there's also tolkien's wars in middle earth examining the relations between tolkien's early life experiences in World War I and his future works. And of special note for incomparable listeners, the force of Star Wars examining the epic. This is the class you're looking for. Star Wars is a shared language that has united generations across the planet. What traditions and ideas inspired that galaxy a long time ago far, far away? How has that universe expanded since its inception in 1977? So much more. This is going to be taught by Dr. Amy H. Sturgis, a well-known scholar of speculative fiction. It's not just an academic examination of the epic, but also a semester-long line party in preparation for The Force Awakens. So here's where you need to go, mythgard.org, M-Y-T-H-G-A-R-D.org slash incomparable. That's mythgard.org slash incomparable. You'll find details for the Star Wars class, including the class schedule at that site. And check out all of MythGuard Academy and its other classes. This is such a cool idea, and I really appreciate that Mythgard decided to sponsor The Incomparable. Thank you very much. Let's move on and talk about Skin Game by Jim Butcher. This is uh, the latest installment. I don't even know how many there have been in the Harry Dresden. 55. Series, yes. Book 11, <laughs> book 18. I don't even know the Dresden Files uh, books by Jim Butcher. Uh, this, uh, so I, I, I have an admission here. I only read the Hugo, and this is this is uh, Orbit and Rock Books, his publisher's fault. I only read the PDF that they sent for the hugo packet i didn't buy this an excerpt it was the first 90 pages Mm. um so i what i'll say is i've read some uh jim butcher harry dresden books and thought they were okay um i thought this one was fine i wouldn't say no to reading the rest of it except that i i would rather read it in the sequence in which it was intended i jumped way ahead by reading the first 90 pages of skin game um but it's fine. I I never at any point got that feeling of like, oh man, now this is some award-winning material. And maybe that, you know, again, you could argue... Um, maybe my standards are, I'm looking for something like super, not, not necessarily just good, but like something I feel has something important to say or something like that. And maybe that is one of the sources of people grumbling about what gets nominated for the Hugos. Um, I thought it was fine. I just, again, I I don't think I would ever say, man, I got to run, where are there things being nominated so I can run there and nominate this? Um, but I, I, you know, I think Butcher is a, uh, a fine writer in dresden is an interesting character and he's built this interesting magical world and um you know i after 90 pages of it i was certainly intrigued to keep reading it and again if i weren't like six books or eight books behind i probably would have picked up on reading it but instead i just decided to stop what did everybody else think david did you read this one
1: yeah well i read the 90 page you read, the ex, you read the same yeah. pages as me. All right. Because, <laughs> well, I, I read one of the earlier books years and years ago because people were like, oh, you should read this. You'll enjoy it. And I didn't. And um, I mean, it's fine. Again, if I were 18 and just kind of picking science fiction books off the shelf at random because I was curious about them. I might get into it. I mean, I read sure. I read several Xanth novels, for crying out loud. <laughs> but Here, you know.
2: here.
1: Well, um, well, I'll also say, unlike the Kevin J. Anderson book, which I just couldn't
0: get through and I yes. just abandoned, I would have, if I had the whole um, Jim Butcher book, I would
1: have read it all yeah. the way through. It would not have been a problem to read. Yeah, it. I mean, it's it's good popcorn writing. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I, I mean, I, st- I have tons of murder mystery novels and tons of, you know, all kinds of series that I would never nominate for anything, but I'll read them for fun. I wouldn't call it a guilty pleasure because I still like them and I still say, hey, if you like mystery series, read this. If you like magical PIs, read this, uh-huh. you know, um, I wouldn't nominate it for anything.
0: Now, um, I don't know, Erica and Scott, did, did remind me last year, one of the nominees for, in this category was Warbound by Larry mm-hmm. Correa. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking about that while I was reading Skin Game because what my thoughts were were essentially, well, this is way better than that. <laughs> <laughs> like, and, we, and, and, and Warbound is not, not was not uh, it was competently oh, written, and I, I read the whole thing, but um it, and, and the genres aren't aren't quite the same here, but uh, they' these are both you know sad puppy nominees and skin games better than, than that. We, we were really lukewarm about Warbound, and I can I can give a much greater endorsement to to Jim Butcher's books. I you know I think it's, I think it's much, much better than than that book that got nominated last year. I think it's fine.
2: Yeah, I actually gave up on the Warbound book last year. No. And not because it was badly written, but just because I, I didn't like basically the treatment of women. And it just made me uncomfortable enough that I, I said, well, you know, it's it's kind of interesting, but but not interesting enough. Whereas here in Skin Game, I had some of the same issues, but to a much, 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 much smaller Degree, um, and I, I completely agree with everything that you said. It's it is interesting. I mean, it. I just I I knew that actually I looked it up. It's the fifteenth book in the series. Wow! Wow! Yeah.
0: Um, okay. And I'm, so I'm like thirteen behind. Yeah, I'll and I it.
2: honestly didn't even realize that uh, that this was part of that series. I just saw the name, and I didn't actually know the author's name to to relate it to the Dresden Files, even though I'd heard of like the TV show and I knew it was based on books. Um, so I was just taking it as if it were a novel on its own, I very quickly realized that it wasn't and that I was, was jumping in there, but I mean, it, it started out quickly enough. It was interesting and fun and it, it really felt more like a ride, uh, than a yeah. serious book. And that's not oh, a bad yeah, thing. Yeah. I, yeah. I enjoyed it. Well, and oh. it's got all
0: those PI kind of tropes. He's like, yes. he's put between a rock and a hard place. Now he's, he's between a rock and a hard place because there's like a demon in his brain or something. But mm-hmm. in the end, butcher isn't, in, is in this difficult situation where he has to do, uh, he has to work with somebody who's really bad. Um, and maybe betray them, but he has to work with them because he's kind of indebted to somebody else who is the queen of all the fairies or something. Um, but, you know, because reasons, because magical reasons. And he's got to work. He's got to assemble a team. And some of them are people who he's worked with. And some of them are his enemies. And that's a nice it's a fun that's a fun setup. That, that's a perfectly fun kind of, uh, you know, mm-hmm. setup for for a, a, a magical detective novel, which is basically what this is.
2: Yeah and I think f- despite the fact that it is the 15th book in a series I felt like the the explanation of what came before was it was doled out to us sort of nicely yes. in little dribs and drabs when it was appropriate to what was going on as opposed to the uh, the dumps that we got in the in the dark between the stars yeah. um, I think the main character while I, I learned to sort of like him more by the end of the book at, at first he's not the most likable guy ever but even that sort of falls into the, the mystery story tropes you get your film noir detectives who are usually not particularly likable guys uh, I just, he's, he, to me he seemed a little bit generic and, and a a little bit sexist, um, you know. Like, you know, he gets an earring at one point in in the book, and he's he wants to make sure that it's in the correct ear. Uh, he refers to his his female friend's shoes as man shoes, like just just little things, not huge deal, but enough to take me out of the story a little bit. And you know, I don't have a problem with including characters who are sexist in stories because they exist, so you know they should be represented, although they're usually overrepresented. Um, but when that character is the one whose head we're carried around in throughout the whole book, it gets a little bit bit ickier to me. Um, but when it came down to it, th- there wasn't enough of that to bother me, and I quite enjoyed the turns of phrase in this book. You know, Butcher is good with the quippy. You know, he describes the the movement of something by saying it scuttle humped or came a glumping towards him. That's mm-hmm. delightful. Yeah. You know, he had some nice zugma as well, like lifted my left arm along with my will. That sort of thing is you know such a such a sparkly little thing for me that I quite enjoyed reading this book.
3: Scott, what do you think? Uh, I read the whole thing, so that's good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have a problem with this genre in general. Uh, I don't even know what it's called. Like uh, urban fantasy, I guess. Yep. Uh, in that... I feel. I mean, it's fun, and I think it was. It was. Uh, I enjoyed it. I read it very quickly. Uh, I didn't. Ha- I, I agree with you, Erica, that he did a much better job of. Like, I'd not read any of the Dresden books before, and I mm-hmm. didn't feel lost like I felt in uh, the Anderson book. Uh, I, I well, I, I kind of knew who Harry Dresden was, but I didn't know any of this stuff. Clearly, big important things had happened, at least in the previous book, uh, that shaped this book, but. Uh, he did a good job of kind of recapping that and I didn't feel like – you know it was like here's the cliff notes of the previous novel and here's – jump in. Uh, my problem with this genre in general is I always feel like something awesome happens and then in the next chapter, it's like, well, I have to one-up that. So something even more awesome happens and then it's just like piling <laughs> on and on and on and I just get exhausted by the end of it. Uh, one of the, like, one of the, or I read very little urban fantasy, but I do read uh, a series, uh, The Iron Druid, uh, which uh, is by, uh, what's his name? Kevin Hearn, I think his name is. And these are not award winning books, but they're a lot of fun. Uh, and he has, you know, the gods come and everybody's like killing gods left and right, and then the more gods are killed, and it's just, it gets exhausting. Uh, but it's, it's fun. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, do I think that this should be nominated for a Hugo? Uh, well, it is, so uh, you know I can't fight reality. But uh, I don't think it should be on the list. Mm. But
2: <gasps> yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. As much as I enjoyed it, it, it is not. Yeah, I also would not have run to places to uh, <laughs> to nominate right, it right away have. after reading it. <laughs> yeah, to the nominating place, wherever that is. The place. I might pick up the a next booth. book in the series, but mm. but yeah, mm.
0: yeah. Uh, okay, let's move on to the three-body problem. By xixin lu uh china's foremost question mark uh science fiction writer translated by ken lu who is a an award-winning uh english language science fiction writer in his own right uh again nebula nominated scott and i have talked about it before uh erica what'd you think of this one
2: I enjoyed it. I wanted to give Ken Liu a huge high five for all of the awesome footnotes because you know it starts out talking about Chinese history that I absolutely never came into contact with in any of my schooling. So it was it was very helpful to to have you know judicious use of footnotes so that I I, I learned the things that I needed to know for to make the context of this story make sense. Uh, I thought it was um, I was intrigued by the mystery of it. Uh, I thought it was elegant um, the physics there was a lot of physics and they went over my head and made it feel a little bit dry. Um, I, I look at this book as more like a piece of art than any of the rest of them. But as far as pure enjoyment factor, I didn't get as much out of it because it did feel, um, it felt like something that should be hanging on a wall in a museum as opposed to something I'm getting dirty with and and really getting into. I didn't feel enveloped in the world the way I did some of the others.
1: David. Yeah. I I really enjoyed the, the, the fact that it was, you know, a real hard sci-fi novel, mm-hmm. um, and I mean that—that that to me, one, the first thing I think of when I think Hugo's is hard sci-fi. I mean, yeah, there are all these other things too, um, but this just this this felt like a book that I am going to read again because I I do want to sort of get the physics of it, and I want to sort of it's it's one of those books where I think I'll enjoy it even more knowing where it's going, so that I can pay attention in the beginning part. Um, like, I'm not going to reread a Dresden Files novel, because it's easy to grasp. It didn't quite pull me in the way Ancillary Sword did. And I mean, part of that, again, now that you had the grounding of Ancillary Justice to, to pull you in there. Um, but this this might be my second favorite. I mean, as much as I enjoyed The Goblin Emperor, again, you know, just I, I think sci-fi when I think Hugo's. And I like it with with an asterisk. Let's put it that way, because I, I think I am going to go back and reread it.
0: Now, Scott, you and I talked about this in the Nebula um, podcast, and one of the things that I think we we agreed on is one of the nice things about this book is that it um, it it exposes you to some some things that that y- you aren't usually exposed to and it makes you feel like a little bit of an outsider and you have to figure out what's going on and being an American reading a Chinese novel and having to, you know, know a lot more about the Cultural Revolution and things like that. Um, it's, that, that is one of the joys, I think, of reading science fiction in general is, is just is thinking uh, in a different way and, and putting yourself uh, in a in kind of an uncomfortable spot.
3: And uh, I think this book does that. Yes, and I think we also agree that it feels like maybe uh, it's from a slightly different era than yeah. modern hard science fiction, and nothing, there's nothing wrong with that at all. I think it's a great book. Uh, it is probably my second favorite book of this list, and I look forward to reading the rest of the trilogy. Um, it struck
0: me as like a 70s almost kind of
1: yes. wacky,
0: big mm-hmm. idea, the gods
1: themselves kind of thing. <laughs> it feels very Arthur C. Clarke to me, mm-hmm. but, but like good Arthur C. Clarke.
2: Yeah, I think out of uh, out of all of the, the books nominated this is the only one that really made me feel like I was stretching and it made me grow just to read it mm, so while yeah. I wouldn't say it's my second favorite of the books uh, but I, I think I would rank it second uh, when I'm doing the voting because I, I feel like like you said this is one of the best things about science fiction is the fact that it puts you into a new place into a new headspace and and I like that it did that um, if it if it could have done that and also wrapped me up in the world the way say the goblin Emperor did then it it would be you know number one with a bullet but in this case it's uh it was it was it was beautiful but cold like me I'd say this book has a little bit of a
0: I, I don't want to say learning curve but because it does have a learning curve but also I, mm-hmm. I wanted to say I um, I came around on it I was I was down on it uh, 100 pages in 150 pages in I thought that that some of the characters were just ridiculously uh, kind of broad and other characters were non. You know, non-persons just completely not there and that the premise of the the kind of virtual reality game was dumb. And then I waited another 150 pages and then I I turned around on it and said, oh, no, OK. Like some of the premise stuff, like a guy sees numbers counting down in his vision and I'm thinking – you know, this is ridiculous. They're never going to figure, they're never going to address this. It's never going to be explained why this happens. This is just something to make us feel creepy. Um, And it is absolutely explained in the book. And and so I I came around on a lot of those, a lot of those issues I turned around on. And in fact, the cop who I didn't like at all because I thought he was such a ridiculous character at the beginning, I ended up loving that streetwise cop who kind of knows, you know, he, yeah, he knows what's going on on the street, man. Uh, I ended up really liking him by the end. So it was, it was a funny turn where I, I really went from kind of not liking it and thinking, oh, geez, uh, I'm going to have to read this whole thing to end up uh, really uh, changing my tune by the uh, middle of it, really. Not by the end, but by the middle.
1: Yeah, it takes a little while to get going. But once once it does, it just takes off. And, I mean, it was Chekhov's guy counting down numbers.
0: Yeah, sure. You
1: put... <laughs> yeah, it just seemed like
0: one of those things, like, wouldn't this be weird? And then it never gets explained, but it totally got explained. So. That was actually kind of a nice moment.
1: And that, that's the kind of thing I like, you know, the pop—the pop, the popcorn writing doesn't have that.
2: No, no. And, you know, I, I mentioned that the physics and the math and stuff was over my head. And that is true. But it wasn't so over my head that I didn't understand what was going on in the book. He did a really nice job right. of, of balancing that so that I, I felt like even though I didn't understand the math, I understood the way that the math was being applied to the world in this story.
0: So uh, let's let's go over just before we move on. Uh, since we talked about ranking, how are you going to rank these, David?
1: Um, eh. I'm torn between three body problem and ancillary sword, but it'll be one of those two, and then goblin emperor.
2: All
0: right, and
1: sure. then no award, and then no award, <laughs> Erica. Um, I,
2: yeah, I'm definitely putting the goblin emperor first, uh, and then, um, and then th- three body problem, and then probably ancillary sword. That it, that might make the uh, no award mark. It might, it might not. I have to think about it. Mm.
3: Scott? I will put uh, the Goblin Empire Emperor, the Three-Body Problem, Ancillary Sword, Skin Game, because I did enjoy it, uh, and then no award.
0: Uh, I'm doing what Scott's doing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with Scott. Goblin Emperor all the way. Woo! All right. So uh, let's talk about the short fiction categories. Um. Mm. Um, <laughs> I don't know how long this will take if you would like to talk about particular things in the short fiction category. Uh, please: I read almost everything, so I'm ready. Uh, oh okay. I um I read some of it. I didn't find a single thing that I liked.:
3: uh, Yeah read I read all the short stories. I read one and one quarter of the novelettes.:
0: Uh-huh was
3: it. Championship Batak that that is the quarter that i read (laughs) yes (laughs) yes i found Mm -hmm. it interesting you know i like military science fiction uh i know that i think that there are certain aspects of the science fiction community that think that military science fiction doesn't get the respect that it deserves and that may explain why there's so much military science fiction on this list uh but there is a difference between good military science fiction and bad military science fiction and i felt like i was reading a lot of bad military science fiction. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah i thought um big boys don't cry which that's the one that's about the like sentient tank, mm-hmm. right?
2: I yes. that's the the one i gave up on.
0: That was i that was <laughs> yeah. that was really bad. A championship Batak, I i didn't like at all and mm-hmm. gave up on and and was um Again, one of these things that I felt very old school and it had a whole big list of lots of complicated alien races and characters that uh, I didn't really – I felt, again, like I'd been dropped down in a, a series that had been going on for 20 years and had lots of detail and yet was all very, like, 30s uh, mm-hmm. serial – kind of stuff with villains and heroes
2: and, that one, and things. like many of these felt like, many of the novelettes and novellas felt like a chapter in something that was much, much larger yeah. and yes. not in the way that a novel like an installment of a novel um, as part of a series does because when you get that usually you have a, a very discrete beginning, middle and end um, maybe not with the dark between the stars but you you, <laughs> you feel like you've, you've had a story that fits into bigger stories and I did not get that feeling with a lot of these nove- novellas and novelettes because it really just felt like the next page after it ended would have completely flown on it wouldn't have been starting anything new
3: i did have a moment when i started reading championship Batak. Batak, uh, <laughs> which i hoped involved klingons but i, I don't too. think there were any klingons yeah. in it, uh, <laughs> where i thought is this file missing something uh, did i start in the wrong place i don't really get what's going on here uh it felt like there was a lot more to this story not that I particularly was interested in reading more of it, but uh, I felt like I was only getting a part of it
2: yeah and there's that that particular one also had uh one theme that I found that was kind of careening through all of these uh sad puppy or rather rabid puppy uh entries on the ballot was a fear of transhumanism. There was like just about every one of these stories, no matter which author it was by, there was something in here that was, you know, humanity is the best and, and the farther we move away from good old humans is, you know, things are going to go bad and things are going to get scary and and, you know, robots and artificial intelligence are the, the way of the devil sometimes literally. Wow. Um, so. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting that that one of the reasons that uh, that a lot of these works were put forward is because in the past few years, apparently, you know, the the social justice folks have put have put message fiction on the ballot and they think message fiction doesn't belong there. And then I'm reading all these and going, what do you think this is? This is message fiction. It's yeah. just a different message.
1: Yeah. And it's I mean, Star Trek is message fiction, you know, mm-hmm. but it's good. Uh, and and it doesn't it doesn't always tell the same message. Sometimes it has different messages. It's okay. So the
0: the one the one uh, short fiction that was not on any of the Puppy Slates is by a past nominee a couple of times, including some stuff that I like. Thomas Old Who, uh, what is it? Huwilt, who is uh, mm-hmm. Dutch, and it's translated. The day the world world turns upside down, and I don't know. Whether it's it was my bad attitude or whether it was just the general stink wafting wafting from all these categories, <laughs> but I thought it wasn't wasn't any good either. And that's oh, really? from that's from a non Yeah, I thought that I thought that it was awful.
2: Oh, see, I enjoyed it. This is the same
0: same story as the one about uh, when when there uh, it rains when you lie. It's yeah, like I the same that, story. I actually yeah. have that
2: in my notes. <laughs> And I loved that story so much. To me, this was the one that just seemed to have been written with ease. Like I flowed through this and I did not want to stop it more than any of the others. It actually made me feel things. And it wasn't always pleasant things. In fact, most of it was downright painful, but it really, really spoke to me. Um, And like you said, Jason, it did remind me, especially at the beginning, a little bit of the water that falls on you from nowhere. Yeah, Um, that's the one. And because it seemed like it was going to be an emotional story that just happens to to take place against a backdrop where something strange had happened, um, and it, and it kind of is. But I feel like this story, more than the other one, focused a lot more on the physical aspects of dealing with a world that had literally turned upside down. Um, so I, I liked that, and I also kind of had trouble wrapping my head around it in a good way. Um, I I don't know if I would have put it on my own nomination ballot if I would have read it in time. Uh, I do think it's worthy to be here, but uh, yeah, I, I I enjoyed it. I just I, I didn't go quite as gaga over it as I did like say the water that falls in you from nowhere.
3: Wow. This is the author who wrote the story about the boy who was made of glass. Oh yeah. Jason.
2: Yes.
0: That's the, there, that one.
2: Oh, I have not read <laughs> that. Which
0: I, which I think was probably would have been on the list of the, of the various puppies about a, it's, it's a, it's a message uh, kind of thing too. But you know, yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, it didn't, it didn't go for me. It didn't work for me. I did want to say um, I found um, on a spiritual on a spiritual plane, interesting. Mm-hmm. If not particularly artful, I thought it was kind of an interesting idea of of this strange planet where the concept of death of these aliens is totally different. And the the I, I kind of like because because last year there were there was a Brad Torgerson story that was similarly about um, uh, uh, you know, some sort of a uh, religious person who is stationed on a, on a military ship or on a planet somewhere. And I kind of, I kind of like those ideas of like, what is this, what is this, uh, what does this religious person have to do this, this pastor, this reverend, uh, what's their, their job that they're, that they're doing out on the edges of space where, where many of the things they've been taught might be called into question. So I'm, I kind of am a sucker for that. Um, I, I didn't think it sort of, it was short and um, it got its idea across. I don't, like I said, I don't know if it was particularly artful, but it, I didn't dislike it like I disliked so much
3: that I uh, th- that I that, that I read. I like the idea of that one, although I thought the payoff of basically the chaplain becomes. Uh you know, his job is now to segue to Stonehenge so that people can go to heaven. Yeah. Uh, Seemed kind of like an anticlimactic ending. Uh, spoiler alerts, <laughs> yes. by yes. the way, For we're, we're on a special oops, plane. Yeah. I really liked the idea, and I felt like uh he could have <laughs> written a much deeper yeah. story that would have been more satisfying. Although
0: yeah. I thought it was fine. Yeah, I thought it was fine.
3: Well, I didn't know. I mean, obviously, I'm aware of the whole sad puppy, rabbit, puppy thing. But I did not know anything that was on the slate, and I did not go looking for it uh because i thought that would color my perceptions and i wanted yes. to judge it based oh, on yes. what it was as a work you put I on your that's black robe
0: point. got your <laughs> gavel
3: <laughs> well no i i really believe that and the work should stand on its own right and it doesn't matter right. what the author's intent was or what their political leanings are or, or who they or, hang out with or who, ch- or who who decided to champion them yeah, exactly. I don't care about any of that. I just want to read something that is good. Uh, and I thought it was almost good.
2: <laughs> Whereas for me, I was I was actually OK letting the uh, the way that the story got onto the ballot uh, factor into it for me. I, I kind of wanted that that extra, you know, if you if somebody is willing to to stand with that crowd, then I am willing to hold that against them. So
3: that is your right.
2: Yep. I don't know. I I
0: I uh I think it's fine for for people to say I don't feel right in taking this nomination because of uh, how uh how it happened where there was a block. Um but I I don't, I have a hard time holding it against somebody who has, you know, who didn't didn't uh advocate for it and just got picked and has always wanted to be nominated. It's 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 hard for me to punish mm-hmm. them. Ultimately, I think I agree completely with Scott. It really is in the it, it, it is in the work. Um, speaking of which, I will mention another uh, nominated short story totaled by Carrie English for about, I don't know, eight years. I published a short story magazine on the Internet called Intertext. And what I will say is that's not a story I would have even accepted for Intertext, <laughs> which didn't pay its writers. So I, I,
2: I liked it. OK, I thought I liked the um, I liked the story, the idea of the story itself more than the writing. than it came out sort of like if somebody else had taken that idea and written a story around it, I think I would have really liked it. Yeah, I actually read Good Night Stars by Annie Bellett uh, because I was (laughs) I was looking at an old version of what was on the list uh, at first. And then I realized that she had asked to have her story removed. And I'm kind of glad she did, because like it would have broken my heart to feel like I should put it under no award because I really like that story. So I'm going to go and find some more stuff by her.
3: All right.
0: Yeah. Anything else we want to talk about about the short fiction? If you if you read it and you want to have a comment about it, now is your chance.
3: The Parliament of Beasts and Birds is awful.
2: Oh oh my, that doesn't even begin to cover it.
1: I I was just going to say, I learned from a cartoon rabbit many years ago, if you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. I disagree.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Excitement for them, I'm sure, to be nominated. But part of being nominated is that people are going to judge your work, right? And that goes part and parcel with it. So John C. Wright... Uh, wrote an awful story yes. uh, that mm-hmm. makes no sense. He was nominated several times. A record number of times. Several, I believe. several yep. awful stories. Oh
2: my God. If... The- if the prose in that story was any more purple, it would be waving a flag and marching in Pride Day, <laughs> um, which he would hate, I'm was, sure. A,
0: yes. I, John C. Wright, I, I, you know, he got nominated because he is an outspoken Catholic who thinks that homosexuality is a sin and not because he's a good writer.
3: <laughs> so I, I knew nothing about him other than I knew he was nominated a record number of times. Uh, and I think, I think I own one of his books. Um, so I have read it. Uh, and reading this short story uh, makes me not want to read Did because man is it awful i
2: also read pale uh, realms of shade um which just also not good it was not as bad um not a high bar there but uh but because of like just after reading those two i I could not bring myself to read any of the other record number of nominations by him so that is that is where I, i jumped off the ship two nominations is your
3: limit (laughs) <laughs>
2: yeah. It, it, well, when they when they You're look right. like that, yes. All right.
3: Yep. A single samurai. I liked the idea uh, of it. I didn't think it was all that great, but um, I thought there were some interesting images. Hmm. If you like um, giant monsters and samurais, I which I do. Yes. Yeah. This short story yeah. will be an enjoyable fifteen minutes. I think. Okay. <laughs> and turncoat was um, obvious. <laughs> uh, I really yeah. like i should say i once again i like military science fiction i like uh sentient ships i'm all for it i thought this book this book this short story was trying to tell me a message that was obvious that i disagreed with and that the ending was so plain well i mean turncoat is it's in the title uh it it was predictable spoiler alert there's a turncoat (laughs) that's right
0: Spoilers for those who have read a short, not read the short story or seen its title. <laughs> That's it was right. also
2: so full of cold descriptions of mechanical actions and lists of oh, weaponry. Yes. And I actually wrote down one of the one of the quotes, Admiral Hull, please accept my apologies for the unexpected intrusion. My designation is TX45D62A0-9555-11E3-BFA7-0002A5D5C51B.
3: As I was reading this one, I did think, boy, Jason will hate this.
0: Yeah, uh, I, because... I am not a fan of the nuts and bolts of the, -hmm. let me tell you about all of the specific ammunition being fired by this gun, which Big Boys Don't Cry does a lot of. And that made me not like it. Turncoat does a lot of it too. Yeah. Just not Mm -hmm. a fan of that. Not a fan of that, which is, you know, again, I think there's some really good military science fiction, but uh, the, the ones that really are all about the armaments and the hardware and the details of how they work, their made up weapons, I just doesn't work for me. So I, here's here's my bold uh, statement. I am going to vote no award in all of the short fiction categories.
2: Yep. I'm going to put the day the world turned upside down on mine, but that's the only all one. All right.
3: Ooh, I I need to read the rest of them before I can make a judgment.
2: Yeah,
0: I will. I will uh, read a single samurai to see if I enjoy. Uh, you might like it, monsters and samurai.
3: It's a bit heavy handed, but
0: uh, all right. But I will not read Turncoat because Scott has already told me enough uh, you about don't need Turncoat. To that. Before we run, we should uh, go through some of the more popular categories by which things that people out there who may not read science fiction short stories may have actually uh, read or seen. Uh, just to see if you guys, I don't know if you guys have have, uh, have opinions in these, but we'll run through them really quickly. Best graphic story category um, nominees. Um, uh, we will run through the Ms. Marvel by uh, Willow Wilson and Adrian Alfona. Um, I'm big, I'm big fan of that whole, uh, uh, reboot of the character of Ms. Marvel to make her Kamala Khan. She's in New Jersey. There's a mist, gives her powers. Her parents are, uh, and she is, they're, they're from Pakistan, um, and they're somewhat strict, um, and, and they want her to dress a certain way and not leave the house at certain times. And it makes, in traditional Marvel style, makes it complicated for her to be a superhero. And I don't know if any of you read those, but they're,
2: it's good. I haven't read I haven't read a whole lot of comics lately, so it was just kind of like I gorged myself on all of these, and that was that was my favorite of all of them. I just it it sucked me, and I've never felt that uh, that I, I've never really liked superhero comics to begin with, um, so I was not looking forward to reading this one. But it really grabbed me, and I I I related to her in a way I've never related to a superhero comic before except for alias but that's a little different um Mm. so yeah thumbs up for that one for me uh
0: anybody read rat queens
2: i did what'd you think it was cute um yeah i i thought it was it was it was was, was entertaining um i liked the fact that it was the the main characters were all were all women but it was very much sort of written in a way that it i felt like perhaps it could have just been these characters were all written as men and then just changed the, uh, the genders and the names um, because they didn't actually feel like, like me. I didn't, I didn't feel like I related to those, those characters at all. I'm sure there are plenty of women out there who do. Uh, it just didn't play for me quite as well as something like Kamala Khan did.
0: Uh, Saga volume three, Brian K Vaughn, Fiona Staples, I think one recent,
1: uh, Hugo, um, one of the more praised comics of the last few years. I I loved Volume One and Volume Two, and I loved Volume Three.
0: Yeah, I would I would say I kind of got sagged out. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> really? I, I, okay. I like it, but um, it as it's gone, I've cooled to it. Again, I think it's great, but it's not. My enthusiasm is not what it was when it started out. I feel like you know it's a saga. I'll come back to it, but uh, you know, but volume Volume Three didn't do it for me like uh, one and two did.
2: I did not read volume one or two. I just read volume three. Oh my. Because, yeah. I mean, I, normally that's not that's not the way I do things, but I figured it is it is nominated for a Hugo Award on its own. So I'm going to read it on its own and see how it works. And and it was OK. Um, I, I still don't feel like I know quite what's going on in that universe. It took me a lot longer to figure it out and get my footing uh, than I sort of expected to it too so um i'm not sure that it i'm not sure that it works too well on its own but i I still think it was quite good
0: i think it's consistent actually with the other this is not a series that makes it easy and there's there's not a lot of downloading you have to pick up like in in a panel you'll be like oh i wonder if that's what that means and that's you sort of it's it's not i mean i'm sure it would be much clearer if you had started with volume one than volume three but it is it is kind of like that in that they they don't they don't hand it to you
2: well I liked it enough that I may actually go back and read the first couple of volumes.
0: Very so, good. So very yeah, good. that
2: so that worked. There's people
0: with horns and people with wings. <laughs> and and T V heads. And and robots oh, with T V
3: heads. It's I, I have I read the first two volumes of that. Oh. Ah. Did you like it? Uh I did. I don't really feel compelled to read the third one though. Ah. So. See? There you go. Mm-hmm. And that's Scott who doesn't even read the funny books. So what's well, your dad? I was listening to an incomparable <gasps> comic book club about <gasps> it, and Dang. everyone was like, "Oh my god, it's so great!" Yeah. And I was like, "I really should read comic books because, or whatever they're called now, graphic <laughs> novel. I don't know <laughs> whatever. What it's comic uh, books. because everybody keeps talking about them, and clearly I'm missing something. And so I read these, but then my problem and this is just me, is that I read them like I read a novel. So I just read all of the dialogue and ignore all the pictures. And I'm missing something. So I I don't think I'm Mm -hmm.
0: cut out for comic books. Not comic book material. Sex Criminals by Matt Fraction and Chip Zdarsky. Um, I've read this. I liked it a lot. I didn't love it, but I like it. I like its humor. Um, It is uh, two people who discover that when they have orgasms, they can stop time. And uh, it's a man and a woman. And then they meet. And uh, then the fun begins because they yeah. can rob banks <laughs> and have sex in the bank. Because really, what else would you do? <laughs> I mean, really,
2: I liked it. I thought it was. I thought it was fun. Um, I agree. It was funny. It made me laugh. It was. It was clever. Uh, I also would not say that I loved it. Um, I feel like, you know, it, despite the fact that I said that I really love beginnings and starting things out and the the discovery is what I enjoy, I feel like that's not the case here because the The first um, section is just ramping up to something else happening in in the second installment, and and I feel like I'm actually more excited to see where this is going than than I was to to see how it was it was all starting out.
1: Yeah, I I enjoyed it. I mean, I I love heists. I love good uh, criminals. I love orgasms. So you know, it's there. You go. It's there. <laughs> it's got everything. Got it but all. It's got no. it all. But but again, you know, it was good, not great. Uh,
3: I it's love good. orgasms, raves David Laura of The Incomparable. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah that's,
1: that's, that's the best pull quote ever.
0: We'll put that with a line about how uh, Scott learned everything from Showtime's <laughs> Masters of Sex. <laughs> the hits just keep on coming. Let's talk about dramatic presentations. Um, we have, uh, in this category, I'll just list them. Captain America, The Winter Soldier, Edge of Tomorrow, Guardians of the Galaxy, Interstellar, and the Lego movie.
1: All of oh, which... I have seen. What about what what about all of ye? I really I've seen all of them. I really enjoyed four of them. Uh I loved two of them. Mm. You're gonna tell us you're gonna
0: give it's us indeed. facts or just <laughs> keep us guessing. This is not a game of mastermind, David. Oh, you which should one say?
1: has <laughs> organisms? I love uh, the Lego movie. I wouldn't vote for it for this. I don't really think it's science fiction. It's just it's fun. Um But, well, not that science fiction can't be fun, because I love Guardians of the Galaxy, too, and it is science fiction. Uh, But I I would give it to Edge of Tomorrow, I think, because it actually has a science fiction premise and does something with it, and it's cool.
3: I really like Edge of Tomorrow – Uh, I feel like they did an awful job of marketing that movie. Yes. Yes. Uh, nobody saw it and it has the whole Tom Cruise thing, but I thought Tom Cruise was great in it and I really enjoyed the whole thing. So I think if I were giving a Hugo to it, I would, uh, to one of these, which clearly I will be, well, I'll be voting. I'm going to vote for Edge of Tomorrow.
1: I I gotta say, I mean, it, it was adapted from All You Need is Kill, which is a better title. It's been remarketed as a DVD under the, the thing, Live, Die, Repeat, Edge of Tomorrow. Live, Die, Repeat is a better title. Mm-hmm. Why Why Edge of Tomorrow? It's like a soap opera and the, title. And the first
0: time I saw the trailer, I thought, why are you naming that? It was so obvious from the first moment that it was a terrible title for that movie.
1: Yeah. Yep. And I mean, it, it's, it's got, again, it's got everything. It's got Tom Cruise getting killed over and over and over and <laughs> over again. So even true. if you don't like Tom Cruise, how much fun is that? Solid point. It's true.
3: And he starts off not as a Tom Cruise character. He's right. Tom Cruise not playing a Tom Cruise character. Of course, he turns into a Tom Cruise character throughout the course of the movie. But <laughs> he does die a lot. So, yeah. Erica, what do you think of these? How would you rank them?
2: Um, I, I haven't seen Interstellar. That's the only one I have not seen. Um, I don't have the same uh, the same feelings about the Hugo's and science fiction as David does because I. I also allow fantasy in there as do the, uh, most of the nomin- n- nominators. Um, and that's the category that I would put the Lego movie in. So I, I, sure, I sure don't, that. I still don't know if I'm going to have that on my ballot in the same way because I just, it doesn't strike me as the kind of story that I would generally put, um, on a, on an awards ballot. Um, but Edge of Tomorrow I loved, and I did everything you guys said, absolutely. So that's that's going at the top of my list. Um, I enjoyed the uh, the Marvel movies enough, but um, I yeah. not maybe enough to put them on the ballot here.
0: I like all five of these movies. I have seen them all, and I like all five of them. And if I were to rank them, which I will, as Scott <laughs> points out, because we all will vote, um... I'm going to put Winter Soldier first. I think it is the best Marvel movie. I would put Guardians of the Galaxy second, second Edge of Tomorrow third, Interstellar fourth. And I actually liked Interstellar and I put the Lego movie fifth, um, not because of anything about the genre, but because I don't think it's as good as the other four. It's fun and cute and my you know kids really enjoyed it, but I, I, I don't think it, it carries the weight of the other four.
2: The things that make it awesome are the sort of like the, yeah, (laughs) well played, well played are the, the the sort of the cute things and the in jokes and stuff. And that's, that's not what I'm looking for when I'm thinking about what I want to put on my awards ballot. Uh, That's, that's what I'm thinking about when I just want to sit down and giggle for a while, but that's, that's not quite the same thing. So um, my, uh, yeah, that's, I I think I will definitely put edge of tomorrow first. Um, And, I don't even know that I'll put anything else uh above no award cuz I'm not really sure any of the rest of them would uh, would have made it for me. Interesting. Yeah, that that's how I roll. I I don't put everything on there and then no award underneath. For me it's 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 how do I do I think this is actually worthy of the yeah. Hugo Award and there are lots of good things, things that I enjoy that I put underneath that that line. So that doesn't mean they're bad.
1: Yeah, I, I would probably put Edge and then Guardians of the Galaxy and then Winter Soldier and then no award cuz eh. Yeah. I did not like Interstellar.
3: <laughs> oh,
1: I liked Interstellar.
3: So I, I guess I would. I'll put my ranking because uh, everybody else. Did. Mm-hmm. So Edge of Tomorrow, uh, Interstellar, uh, Captain America, Guardians of the Galaxies, The Lego Movie. Mm. There you go. Although I love The Lego Movie, but. I do.
1: Yeah, it's good. yeah, too. Same here. Same
2: here. I may. I may try to see Interstellar before you know. Squeeze it in the next couple of weeks before
3: I before I vote. But
1: it's it's a, a couple of see. weeks long, so yeah. it's okay. <laughs> so I better hurry. huh? It's about, about right.
3: But John Lithgow's in it. It's true. Yeah.
2: Ooh, that's a a thumbs
0: up. All right, let's talk about dramatic short form. Uh, This is our uh, obligated (laughs) Doctor Who reference in an episode that Erica is on. Listen by Stephen Moffat is nominated here, as well as the pilot for The Flash. The Mountain and the Viper... uh, very exciting episode of Game of Thrones, where somebody people die and fight and stuff because it's Game of Thrones <laughs> grim an episode of grim i've never uh, seen i haven't seen Grimm since the pilot, so I have no idea what that episode is and in the season finale of last season of Orphan Black, those are the nominees here well, any any uh any thoughts Erica Doctor Who first
2: <laughs> yeah I honestly listen was not my favorite of, I agree. The, uh, of the episodes. Um however I do feel in a lot of ways it was it was strong on the points that make it feel like it belongs in an awards category. Uh-huh. So I was I was okay with it. I think it was actually even on my ballot, even though it wasn't or my nomination ballot, even though it's not my favorite. It was an it was an elegantly done story. Um, it tied and wrapped around. It played with time. Um, it was emotional. It was yeah, so it, it had a lot of things that that to me say award-worthy even though i would rather sit down and watch time heist over and over again than watch <laughs> thing watch listen again so that will be at the top of mine i haven't actually i did see uh, the game of thrones and orphan black um, but i couldn't remember because i did not remember which episodes they were by the title i was like that's not a good sign yeah. <laughs> so if they'll be on there somewhere i just have to figure out exactly which piece of the story they are referring to
1: yeah see i, I would vote for to uh, listen first just because again you know it does play with time and and I think I think I was on the TV episode for it um and and I loved it minutes after I watched it uh and and yeah there are other better stories in this season but of these 5 that's the one I'm going to vote for and then you know The Flash I really love The Flash it it did a great job setting up the story um is it is it quite Hugo award worthy I don't know but It made me watch the series, which Arrow still hasn't done. Um, And Game of Thrones, I have sat through episodes of Game of Thrones, (laughs) and I appreciate the work that goes into it. And I I totally get it. Um, Grim, I appreciate that work goes into it, but I cannot sit through episodes of that. And Orphan Black is just fun. So I would probably go Doctor Who, Orphan Black, Flash. And then I suppose I would put Game of Thrones and then no award take that grim
3: yeah. uh my <laughs> wife <laughs> my wife loves grim so i have seen many episodes of grim i don't know if i've seen this episode of grim or not um but it's a fine it's it's a fine show uh it's set in portland oregon which uh, my wife loves cuz she's from portland so uh i'm kind of over doctor who i have to admit um have you and got, a
2: lot of other Hugo voters. <laughs> I, uh,
3: I I feel like Doctor Who has been uh, uh, for the last couple of seasons diminishing returns for me uh, as a, a viewer. Um, so, but I love The Flash, uh, and I I like The Game of Thrones, but I really like I I, I think I would pick The Flash first, uh, and then probably Orphan Black, just because I feel like Orphan Black's kind of losing the thread too. Um, and this yeah. is, I'm judging the entire yeah. series, not just the one episode, which is probably not the way you're supposed to do it. Um, and so I would do The Flash, uh, Orphan Black, Game of Thrones, Doctor Who, and Grimm.
2: You know, I really wish that Orphan Black and Game of Thrones had been nominated in uh, Best Dramatic Presentation long form, just like the entire season, mm. because they're so, yes. so serialized. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, you know, yes. Doctor Who does not work that way, even if it's somewhat more serialized than it has been. Um, so I, I think... I. It's hard for me to just pick out one piece and then judge that on its own when I'm thinking about the rest of the series.
0: There was well that that episode you didn't like in the first season, Erica, um, with uh, <laughs> yes, th- that, that, with the the, the party. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the suburbs I actually think that that was perfectly eminently nominatable on its own but this yeah but, well
2: that that one is yes
0: but this this is just I mean they nominated it because it's the season finale and it's got a bunch of twists and stuff in it but I'm not sure that I, my, my love for Orphan Black is more as a whole and not for these individual episodes so I, I, I'm with you there Um, Mm -hmm. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something shocking here, but I'm gonna (laughs) rank the Flash pilot first. I think the Flash pilot, yeah, you know, is it, is it a fantastic work of art in, in the way that Listen is seriously crafted as a, this, this is my chance, Stephen Moffat says to write an episode that's (laughs) not based on a, on the, the season long arc, which is his job, but instead just to show off how brilliant he is as a writer. Well, he is a very good writer, but I'm gonna put the Flash pilot first because, um, doing a superhero show and having it be fun uh and and uh smart in its own way and have likable characters and have a really nice setup. The Flash really did it in a in a spectacular way um, that it's a really great pilot and a and a fun show. And so I'm going to I'm going to list The Flash first and then I'll list Doctor Who and then probably Game of Thrones and Orphan Black. And sorry Grim, I have never watched you other than the pilot. So that's probably what I'll do. I know heresy. The Flash over Doctor Who, but there it is. Should have nominated Flatline. That's all I'm saying.
1: Yeah. Nominated oh, yeah. Flatline. I'd have been
2: behind yeah. that for I'll sure. All over that one.
1: That would have been my first choice. Yeah. Well, so how was your Hugo experience,
0: everybody? It was kind of rough, wasn't it?
3: Yep. It always is. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> this is true, Scott. This is true. Although I have gotten much more pleasure out of the short fiction nominees. In the past, it's been like a little anthology created for me from the Hugo nomination group. And uh, some of them aren't great, but some of them are really great. And there are a lot of good finds and you find interesting artists or authors. And this time it was like, um, it was not that. It was like (laughs) a signed reading of things that aren't good. It's like going through a (laughs) slush pile.
2: Some people complain that the Hugo's are a popularity contest, but I I don't. I like that they're a popularity contest because at least in years past, when I've um, read things, it's been yeah, you get quite a mix, but it's stuff that people are genuinely passionate about and they they love it. Uh, but it. When it comes to the the Puppy Slate, I I don't have great confidence that that all of the people that nominated those actually nominated those things actually read them and felt really strongly about them. If I thought that, then then I would would be like hey good for good for you folks but uh yeah the uh all of the all of the ballots coming in at the uh, at the same time and and all being being purchased in one sort of fell swoop right after somebody supposedly reached out to gamergate and whether they did or not just the, the timing of it kind of made me go mm. so yeah that 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 is where my because uh, I, I like the idea that 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 there would be enough folks out there that are interested in you know the golden age science fiction style stuff with you know spaceships and adventure to to get some of that stuff on the ballot because I like that stuff too. So someday,
0: yeah I, yeah, I would just like not not for somebody to say, here are five things to vote for, and then those five things get voted for, and then that's the nominee list is those five things. Exactly. Um, and they are making efforts to change the way the Hugo Awards work, which is probably going to take several years because the Hugo Awards is a gigantic bureaucracy, it turns mm-hmm. out. Um, yeah, it
2: takes it, two years to change a rule.
0: Yeah. So... Eventually, they will probably change the rule. It sounds like the most common um, idea is to expand the nomination group um, Mm -hmm. and reduce the number of nominees that each person can can nominate. Uh, thereby making it much harder for a mass a mass group to fill a category, but it may take a while for them to do that.
2: Mm-hmm. And another another thing that that will help is just sort of getting the word out about the fact that the Hugo's is a popularity contest. It is something that you can vote on. That's something that I didn't know until just not too many years ago. So yeah. I think the more people that that learn that and realize that they can be part of the process, the better. Because when you have a bigger pool, you're going to get you know a more interesting more interesting group of stuff.
3: One of the problems with the Hugos is that there's this tiny core of people who were just kind of voting for stuff and it was like a little nirvana and they were voting for all the stuff that they liked and then other people suddenly noticed, hey, these people have this prestigious award and they never vote for any of this stuff that I really like. Mm -hmm. So let's get all of my fans to just vote for stuff I think should be on so we can make a big statement. And then every all hell broke loose. Uh, and mm-hmm. frankly, I find it all boring because there's nothing I read fiction and science fiction to escape from bureaucracy and meetings <laughs> and having to think about rules. Uh, and so I blame all of them for making me think about this. I have a great science fiction novel that I'm going to,
0: <laughs> that I'm going to write for you, Scott, that's entirely about rules and bureaucracy <laughs> in <Awesome>. space.
2: <gasps> Is it also mm-hmm. going to have lots of weapons?
0: With robots there will be just some weapons list the specifications of all the weapons yes mm-hmm. i can't wait for the graphic novel version myself mm-hmm. <laughs> space bureaucracy it's coming just look yeah. for it, it it'll uh, the first the first book will be titled and it shall be signed in triplicate <laughs> <laughs> the first that's the first one and then Sweet. it goes it goes from there mm-hmm. you can just imagine death to the space mayor that's book two death to the space mayor <laughs> Ooh. he doesn't die it's a lie <laughs> spoilers, spoilers. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> no, no I haven't told you the big spoiler which is that the space mayor is a robot
2: oh no <laughs> I, oh, <laughs> I'm giving it
0: everything away now robot or not or, no? well that's the twist that I won't reveal how about the that robot mayor
1: coming through or is it
0: Okay, we're done with the Hugo Awards for another year, maybe forever. Who knows? But we will be at, uh, at Sasquan when they give them out. So we're not yeah. really done with it. We will be there to witness. Who knows what's going to happen? But uh, it should be interesting. Well, a radio show is going to happen. A radio happen. show will happen. If you're participating so. in Sasquan, you should come see our radio show at 4 o'clock on Saturday. We will be performing radio drama live.
2: And then after that, Jason, you get to help out with the, uh, the, the pre- and post-show for the Hugo Awards ceremony itself. Uh, yes. Oh, uh, do I sign up for the post-show too? Well, I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Pre-show for sure. Okay, yes. Uh,
0: definitely. We will, be, we will be all over. So let us know if you're coming and uh, you can say hello to us. Uh, but until <laughs> then, I'm going to thank my guests and they can go off and fill out their Hugo ballots. David Laura, thanks for being here. Anytime. Erica Ensign, thanks so much for being here and doing the reading. Yay.
2: <sighs> I did the reading. You oh did. Oh, boy, did I do the reading. You did
0: more of it than I did, so <laughs> A+. Plus. You did the slogging. Uh-huh. And Scott McNulty, he always does the reading. Thank you, Scott. I'm looking forward to the nebulas next year. Mm, me too. <laughs> me too. Maybe some World Fantasy Awards are in our future, too. Who knows? Oh, yes. Locust Awards. The locusts. Perhaps. Yes,
3: the locusts.
0: They the always, locusts- always know what's bzzz- good to read. A plague <laughs> <of> locusts. <laughs> That's what the locusts say. That's right. And that's it for this time. Thanks, everybody out there for listening to The Incomparable. We will see you next week. Ah, space bureaucracy, I'm telling you. Just wait for it. It's going to be big. Uh, I'm I'm going to get Dan's <laughs> well, agent to uh, pitch it. Bureaucracy
2: usually is big, so... yeah.
0: Oh yeah, it'll be it'll be. The, in fact, the book will be four hundred pages long, but there'll only be two hundred pages of story, and then the rest of it will just be <laughs> like, course. "Sorry, we had to include extra pages because it's it's complicated." Just, does
2: it come wrapped in red tape? tape?
1: It does. That's, well, that's the book cover. Yeah, the jacket. Yeah, it's red tape. It's all red tape. You have I like a hundred uh, pages of boilerplate and appendixes and a couple of lines for people to sign, so it's interactive. Yeah, a form so. they have to fill out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Coming to the incomparable press.
3: Yes, that's right. <laughs> Coming nowhere. Very never. Uh, well no, if you write it we can, and put it on the Incomparable website, we can nominate it for a Hugo. Oh, you're right. <laughs> right.
0: That is
1: true. I'm, I'm already thinking that there might be a space bureaucracy episode when we get to Spokane.
0: And it shall be filled in triplicate. <laughs> awesome. I am
1: I am making notes right now. Okay. Book one of the Space Bureaucracy. <laughs> that's
0: Book one crazy. of two hundred
1: and eight. <laughs> Book one sub-article five. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, it would it would be subtitled The Book One in the Space Bureaucracy Saga. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nothing's Tom, a space
1: bureaucrat with a tall... I don't even know. Yeah. He wore a red go, shirt with buttons I was down the, the front. Kevin <laughs> Anderson, and it just... As you do. Say, yeah, nope, you can't no. do it.
0: Welcome to our little town of Vinci. This month on The Incomparables TV podcast, join me, Special Agent Brian Hamilton. And me, Desk Sergeant Philip Moselak. We spend an hour each week in the evidence locker, pouring over tape, fingerprints, and the charred
1: remains of blown up cars. So you put your badge on, strap your gun up, and let's do some detective work together. Visit TheIncomparable.com slash TV slash True Detective.